As always, I'm the author and your humble narrator and host, This week I'll be reading from chapters 12 and 12. If you are enjoying this podcast, please subscribe and share to keep the brand new story to you. Thanks for listening, and let's begin. Chapter 11 Falkir stood on the parapet and watched him approach. Apostos walked very calmly and deliberately up the street that led to the castle, his eyes fixed directly ahead on the front gate. The wind howled around him, sending up whirls of trash and debris that wound strangely around him as he approached. Thunder rolled overhead, and lightning struck somewhere off in the distance. Manon's new people started crawling out of the ruins, giving Apostos a look as well. They were sniffing the air to decide if he would be good to eat, but he had their attention all the same. Falkir sat down on the small stone lip at the front of the parapet, and pulled out his bow from a rucksack. It gleamed with the grease that he lined the bag with. He strung it, glanced back and forth between the task and his target. He pulled an arrow from the quiver slung at his side and notched it. From what Mick had said to him, the bastard was almost invulnerable. Now that he thought about it, he could be lying. One way to find out. He raised his bow and loosed an arrow at Apostos' head. Faster than he ever imagined a person it could be, Apostos raised his hand at the last second, and the arrow broke on it, shattering like it hit a brick wall. He seemed to take no more notice of Falkir than that. His eyes never wavered. He drew another arrow and waited. Two of Manon's people jumped at Apostos as he passed the fountain, leaping up from their hiding places. They got within five feet. He loosed another arrow, hoping to distract the shepherds so they could go to work on him. No such luck. The arrow was smashed. The attackers caught fire and burned to ash like they kissed the sun. They collapsed into little piles. He kept on coming. Falkir was about to leap down at him when Apostos looked up at him and shook his head. You were such a profound disappointment. I've heard that before, Falkir replied, thinking how much he sounded like a parent. It added a new dimension to his hate for him. I have no doubt about that, he said, smashing his way through the gate. The wooden portcullis blew outward. Pieces of it clattered to the cobblestones. Falkir dropped down from the parapet, leaving his bow on the stones. He turned towards the entrance and pulled out a pair of his daggers. Apostos was still walking, deliberately, into the castle. He was approaching the door that led to the outer hall when it opened, spilling wolfmen out into the corridor. They snarled at him, baring their claws and teeth. His pace never slowed. He plowed into them, crushing one like it was nothing. Enough of this! Falkir sprinted forward to join the fray. He hoped he was quick enough. Falkir was lifted up by the throat as he closed with him. Apostos dangled him in the air while he killed the rest of them with crushing blows from his other hand, and a couple well-placed kicks that were punctuated by the crunching of their bones. Falkir slashed at his arms repeatedly, but the wounds did not bleed. Mick was telling the truth. Falkir didn't have much chance against Apostos. He finished with the wolfmen and stepped through the broken remains of the door. Perhaps you are of some use to me after all, he said. He threw Falkir through the door. Of all the dignities, he felt his shoulders separate as he impacted with it. It was all just meat. His pride ached, and this prick would pay for the weight of his insults. He landed, transforming into a savage alter ego. Falkir's muscles bulged, and his hands lengthened into savage claws. He screamed, the sound turning into a howl as the bones of his skull cracked, distorting as it became a toothy maw. He would tear Apostos' throat out, and eat whatever would fit between his jaws. Apostos watched, bemused as Falkir bounded forward to rip him apart. You never learn, Falkir. And that is your singular weakness. His fist came down like a hammer. Falkir slipped underneath it and grabbed for his throat. 
He was faster in this form and almost got him. Apostles' other hand batted Falkir's claws away, and he delivered a blow to his jaw that staggered him. Apostles was so damn strong. You have been a very bad dog, he said, punctuating each word with a murderous axe-handled blow. Falkir sank to the ground, his shoulders, neck, and back twitching with pain. This was too much, even for him. Screw you, Manal. You can deal with this prick. He lay there for a moment. Then he felt Apostos grab one of his legs. He was, he was pulling him. He tried to right himself, but Apostos kept on hitting him. A few minutes and a humiliating duration on the ground later. He kicked open the doors to the little meeting hall. Flesh jumped up from the couch she sat upon, her hand going to the sickle that she kept at her side. Manon only looked up from where he sat at the dining table. He displayed no sense of shock or surprise. Does this belong to you? Apostos said, slinging Felker's mostly limp form from the hall stone floor to a chair. He does, yes, Manon replied, studying his fingernails. What do you want, Manon? Falkir flinched. How did Apostos know? Really? No, how was the big nothing, Manon? Or long time no see? I'm thoroughly disappointed, brother. Apostos moved over to the table and sat down. I am no brother of yours. Try again. Well, well, I must say I'm honored, Manon said, standing up and taking a bow. You finally decided to show up. All I had to do was make a mockery of your little pet projects, and you come running. I am not here to trade barbs with you. We both know your history and who you are. I ask again, what do you want? Manon moved over to Apostles' side and dropped onto his knees. He put his hands together as if he was to prayer. Oh, I am down here, Lord, wicked sinner that I am, pleading for the chance to mend fences, get right with the Savior and such, maybe even lay a saint. Apostles grabbed him by the collar of his jacket and pulled him close. You are an abomination, he whispered through gritted teeth. You would know, Father, Menon said, grinning broadly. What I want, Father, is what I've always wanted. I help preserve this little travesty of yours, and I want back in, at the top. Apostos laughed. Falkir moved from his chair to join Flesh. Heal me, he whispered. If this goes badly, we need to move. She nodded and slipped her hand over his form, subtly working her power. His muscles began to knit back into place. That will never happen, Apostos said. You have served your purpose. You are a means to an end, not the end itself. You will never be what you were. Minon grabbed him by the throat. Says you. Apostos struggled. Minon stood up, his grip still firm. Apostos tried to wrestle free of his grip, but could not. You tainted me with this. Filled me with something you didn't even understand. Minon growled. Now feel its strength. Minon reversed his grip and took Apostos' forearms in both hands. There was a subtle cracking and grinding of what must be bones underneath. Apostos began to rise. I will be back, Menon, to destroy you utterly! A bright flash of green light exploded from his eyes. Menon never flinched. Falkir recognized the power. One of his own? The figure in Menon's grip fell slack for a moment and then seemed to shake itself off. It cried out in pain and looked up at Menon. A look of confusion came over his face, and he looked around wildly. No, this is wrong. Who are you? Manon's grip of triumph faded into a scowl. 
I should have known that he'd erase all traces of me. The bastard. That being said, it's nice to see you again, little brother. You're Menon, Apostos said, his fear becoming delicious in the air. That's right, Apostos. But enough about me. Apostos tried to pull away. Menon opened his mouth wide and blackness yawned to swallow Apostos whole. Chapter 12 The nurse fell forward, dead, her neck bitten by one of the wolves. I screamed and blew his head off with Casey's gun, the recoil nearly throwing me from the rope. Nancy the nurse slid aside, and the wolf went plummeting to the ground below. What the hell was this? This this already happened. As I was struggling to get my grip on the rope and make my way down, Lyconis pushed himself up to the window's edge. You choose the shittiest things to dream about, you know? Let's go to that little cafe near the ocean in Trelane. And we were there. I was sitting down on the chair, drinking the slightly off coffee. I was about to toast the ocean again when Lyconis pulled up a chair next to me. This is much better, Mick. I've been listening to everything that's been going on, and I think you need to consider... I'm not sure I should trust you, Lyconis. So far, you've cast some serious doubt on what I've been trying to do, and given me not much to go on in return. Now I have to worry about not only Father and the Kingdom, but a new player as well who calls himself Menon. But you already know all that, don't you? Your dreams are all I have to use right now, Mick. Do you want to hear me out or not? I took the last sip of the coffee and threw the cup over the seawall and into the ocean. I asked him to wake me up as soon as the Apostles returned, or if he didn't come back in time. Be quick, bye. I think the key to finding out what happened to restore my memory is to bring me to Manal. What do you know about him? Only what you do. Then how can you think that would possibly be a good idea? You are going to have to confront him eventually. Maybe even when you go to Trelane. What was Lyconis' angle here? I couldn't figure... Whoops. My angle. You really are getting paranoid, Mick. With good reason. How am I supposed to trust anyone when I can't even trust my subconscious? It's tough figuring out things without having the counsel of my own thoughts. If we can find out what really happened, we can proceed with a clear picture. I figure maybe this Manon could give me enough juice to restore what I've lost. He's chock full of darkness, right? So it's been said. I don't like where this is going, though. It sounds like you want to cooperate with him. I just want to be put back together, Mick. I don't like the fact that I'm missing a good chunk of myself. Do you understand that? Yeah, believe me, I get you. I don't have all the answers either, and it's hard to know what to do. Bring me to Manon, and we can figure it out with what he may know. He can't be all that bad attacking the kingdom, can he? Yeah, I can't figure why he'd attack them if he's part of the darkness. Lyconis frowned. I heard footsteps coming up along the street by the ocean. They were enormous. I think it's time for you to go. Think about what we talked about, Mick. How can I not? Someone gently shook my shoulder. It was time to go. The sky burst forth with heavy gray droplets from thick overhanging clouds. We were assembled on the rise of the road leading into Trelane. Lightning flashed through the gloom, illuminating the hell that seethed below us in the streets of the city. Legions of wolfmen and other twisted creations milled about, howling and gibbering in approach and bloodlust as we approached. On the other side of them, the great fortress stood, the place where Casey and I had spent some very miserable times. Its spires and minarets pierced the clouds. From the windows of those towers, a garish red light spilled out. Hopefully, Apostos was still alive and whole inside, somewhere. 
The wolfmen we expected, but the other creatures were savage, dark creatures with blackened skin. Somehow the wolves seemed preferable to the others. I strode forward, sword unsheathed, and stood upon the precipice. On my right, Casey stood, her dark cloak trailing the wind, pistols gripped in her hand in readiness. Beside her, Otomo flickered in the lightning, his body shimmering like a ghost, his blade gleaming and hungry. On my left, Henry was smoking and held a gun-like weapon strapped over his shoulder, a mechanism festooned in gears, dials, and gauges that I would never understand, but through his gifts, Henry had made. Dacum stood beside him, a giant, fearsome figure in bronze armor, his head covered in an open-faced helm that let the enemy see the grim determination of his face. His hands, the only weapons he needed, were formed into fists that were the size of my head. I raised my sword to the sky. Today we destroy the kingdom and win ourselves a home. I know I've given you all reason to doubt me and to question what we're doing here. The simple fact is, is that you realize, as I do, that we can't wander forever, broken-hearted and without roots. At least I know I can't. We've all lost something or someone in the course of our awakening to this life, and some of us have found something to care about again. It's all in jeopardy because of the kingdom, and because if we fail, our creator will be forced to act. Let's prove to him and to all the worlds that we deserve a home. Well said, Henry told me, adjusting the shoulder strap of his weapon. As we discussed then, I said, and strode down the road towards the open streets of the Maw of Hell. The wolves bounded towards us in droves, their momentum carrying them far ahead of their twisted comrades. That was good. Henry opened up with his cannon. Green fire shot out in a solid stream pouring out of the engine of Henry's genius. What the fire touched, it turned into a screaming mass of fur and claws that, that either collapsed on the ground to be trampled, or were cut in half by my sword. Their eyes gleamed as they leapt at me. The first that got past Henry's gun lost his head. The next was shot twice by Casey. Another one was crushed to the ground by Dacum. Still, others surged forward, crawling out from the avenues and burning homes that were once part of beautiful Trelane. As we engaged with the next group, I noticed that we were right by the baker shop where I first came into the city. The windows were broken and the acrid smell of burning flesh drifted out of it, rather than the wonderful baked goods that I had once so treasured. I ducked the blow of the first wolf that came to me and impaled him on my blade. That one was for the baker. I kicked him off my sword as three or more passed through the gauntlet of our fire and bullets and made it into close quarters. I narrowly missed taking a claw across the chest and clove him down through his midsection. I realized my mistake as one of the blackened creatures appeared from behind the corpse, using it to get close. I pulled up my sword to get it free, but the monster was too close. It grabbed my fur-lined coat and began to pull me close to bite at me. I abandoned the sword for the moment and got my hands around his throat. I felt a round whiz by my head from Casey's direction. That was way too close. I got it, damn it! Don't blow my head off! At least I hope I did. It was still lurching forward, trying to bite at me. Hellcare one-on-one. I reached up and put my thumb in one of its eyes. It quickly switched its tactics, screaming as I put my other thumb in. So gross. I didn't have time for this nonsense. We'd get surrounded if we couldn't clear these assholes in short order. I forced the creature to its knees and with the leverage broke its neck. My hands were covered in black goo. I wiped them on its corpse and retrieved the sword. I fell back a bit to join Casey. She shot down another wolfman. Have you got enough stored up? I asked her. Yeah, I'm close, she replied. In front of us, there was a wide thoroughfare, cluttered with overturned wagons, burning piles of debris, and the other throng of kingdom soldiers. Henry was firing sporadically over the street to keep the creatures' heads down as we advanced. Any that were brave enough to get past the fire were either gunned down or cut down. We moved slowly and steadily up the streets. There were so many of the blackened creatures now, crowds of them in the buildings, and more clamoring into the streets to stand in our way. The wolves were few in number by comparison. 
At last we reached the boulevard that led up to the fortress. It was thick with the enemy. They were clustered around a fountain ahead, and many more were swarming in from behind to surround us. Ready? I shouted to Casey. As I'll ever be. Okay, Otomo, Dekum, to me. Keep those things away from Casey. Henry, just burn the crap out of them. Henry lit a smoke from the chamber of his cannon and nodded. He looked very tired. I don't think any of us accounted on how long we were going to have to use our powers for, and the taxing onslaught of the kingdom's forces. And we haven't really gotten to the castle yet. Casey dropped to the ground, put away her guns, and put her hands onto the cobblestones. Under our feet we could feel a vibration starting. The enemy seemed to sense that we were up to something, and started moving in with a purpose. Otomo went ghostly and started moving, taking heads with an ease that was just unfair. I struck two down in a figure eight as they approached me. They were replaced by five more. Takum, little help here? I felt the air whoosh by me as he brought his hands across them, knocking them to the ground in a powerful sweep. They tried to get up, but I cut them down. It wasn't the fairest fight, but I was done with not using our powers to their fullest against those who don't fight fair either. The ground was really shaking now, and I looked back to see that Casey's eyes were open, which was something she doesn't usually do when using this end of her power. Her eyes were brimming with energy. It's too much, Mick! Too much! Let it go, then! Let it go! Casey exhaled, and then screamed long and loud. Ah! Her scream was punctuated by a great groan below us. The creatures coming at us scattered as the cobblestones nearly exploded up from the earth, and a great green pine tree shot up and out from below. The roots shot out from the base, impaling several creatures. The branches covered half the street. I stumbled back from it as it spread out. At its crown, the tree was nearly 40 feet tall, and was at least 15 feet wide. I picked up Casey from the street and held her. You know what's next, I said, turning to Dekum. Let's get in there before it's too late. Dekum reached out both of his arms, wide enough to encompass the tree, and began to concentrate. His eyes glowed brightly, and even the veins in his arms seemed to glow with an eerie light under his skin. Henry looked at him with concern, then looked at me. I knew what he was thinking, probably promising me death if anything happened to Dekum. He would use all of his genius to find a way to make me pay. That's what I would think anyway, if our positions were reversed. Cover us, I said to Henry. The tree began to lift out of the ground, propelled by Dekum's insane strength and power. I helped Casey onto the branches and clambered up after her. Otomo swiped his sword at me in salute, then began to march off towards the castle. The creatures died, cut down by his blade as they tried to get in his way. We hung on to the trees that floated up towards the castle. I could now see a terrace, a couple floors up onto it, that would serve as some place to land. I looked back to Takum and pointed frantically at the terrace. He nodded grimly, clearly running out of juice pretty quickly. I took Casey's hand and pointed out what I saw in the castle. Do you remember where that is from the inside? No, but maybe it'll come to one of us as it gets closer. Don't look like anybody's waiting for us, does it? Oh, they're probably inside with our luck. Are you okay? That was one hell of an effort back there. It's a safe bet I won't be doing that again anytime soon. My head feels like Dekum clapped his hands against my ears. Next time, you make the giant distraction, okay? I've never tried a tree, but there's always a first time. We were now almost level with the terrace. The tree was beginning to sway. I looked back and saw that Takum was on his knees, barely holding it together. There were a dozen or so creatures around both himself and Henry. Henry was burning them, but he was nearly done. Can you get down from here? Casey looked down as the tree began to sway more violently. If I time it right, why? Takum and Henry are toast if we don't do something. When I tried to plan this, I didn't count on so many of those creatures. We looked at each other and the tree started to fall. Go! She screamed and jumped down to catch a lower branch. I wanted to look if she made it, but I didn't have time. I jumped from the tree and grabbed hold of the terrace rail. The tree fell over. 
crashing to the ground and rolling around below. I heaved myself over to the rail. The terrace doors were partially open. I moved forward, my hand on my sword. After a moment, I crept up to the doorway and went inside. Once again, thank you all for listening and tuning into the Lost Tribe Sins of the Father. Join me next week when the story continues, and remember to follow this podcast and share it to keep the story going.